We're going to be in Luke 1, 76 through 80. Let me read it for us, and then I'll kind of reframe where we are. And for those of you who weren't here a couple of weeks ago, Luke writes, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And speaking of John the Baptist, he writes, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Uh, Two weeks ago, we picked up on Zechariah's prophecy, his response, You'll remember that when Zechariah first encountered the angel Gabriel earlier in chapter 1, he disbelieved. He didn't believe the word that the angel said to him. And and looking back at chapter 1, starting at verse 15, the angel had said these words, speaking of his son, For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so what the angel of the Lord had told him effectively is that John the Baptist's ministry would be preparatory. That it would be preparatory. It would not be uh, the main event, but it would be preparatory in nature, much as Zechariah and Elizabeth's lives had been preparatory. People, verse 6 in chapter 1, that the word tells us lived righteously before God. They were wholly blameless in all of his commandments and his statutes. And, and, and people that, if you're going to look at people and just say, man, they have got it all figured out, these would be the people that you'd say. But their lives were preparatory. They were a cog in the machine. John the Baptist is effectively the same thing as what we read here. He is preparing the way for another. He is making things ready for another. And and Zechariah, when he heard this word from Gabriel, Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, how does he respond? Does he begin to kind of get things ready and say, okay, well, I need to go back to my wife. She needs to make sure she's taking prenatal vitamins. we got to make sure this thing's cared for. i can start painting the nursery. No, he hears it and he says... I got like liver spots. And you don't even want to talk about how old she is. And so he, he's dealing with it on the realm of what he can see, what he can experience, and evaluating it therein. And he looks at it and says, you just don't understand, this can't be. And so on the basis of his disbelief, he loses the ability to speak. The angel responded to him in verse 20 and says, And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Because why? Because you did not believe my words. Now, the text doesn't tell us there, but we're able to pick up from the Greek language and some things that happened later that not only could he not speak, but he also could not hear. He couldn't hear. And so for nine and a half, ten months, he's walking around. it's, It's silent for him. Silent, except for the the roaring, why didn't I, I wish I had, going on in his mind, and wondering, when will these events find their terminus? When will these things find their terminus? And so you remember this glorious picture of redemption. Zechariah could have spent his life thinking, oh man, I totally blew it. I have no way to redeem my failure. But instead, instead, we read this beautiful picture of redemption. And in verse 64, when the child is born and his mouth is finally 
opened again, his first response is to bless the Lord. It's not to to tell people, it's not to proffer and say, hey, look, just so you know, this is kind of what I've been up to the last nine and a half, ten months. No, as soon as God gives him an opportunity to speak, his mouth overflows with praise for God. And what we saw there in the passage immediately prior, in the first half of this prophecy, is this, this praise for God and his movement of salvation for the people. God is going to move this way. He's going to redeem Israel. All the things that we've been waiting for are going to come to pass. Now, I want you to understand the, 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 basically all the tension that has been bound up in this moment. For 400 years, they've waited. For 400 years, they've waited. Our nation is, is almost half of this time in, in, in our own age. I mean, we hit 200 years not too long ago, but for 400 years, they've waited on God to respond. Every year the calendar rolls around, they, they think, is this person bringing the word of the Lord and he doesn't? No, this person bringing the word of the Lord and he doesn't? For 400 years they have waited with bated breath on the word of the Lord to come to them and show them how things might change. And what Zechariah has been told in that moment, right before his disbelief, is that his son would usher in God's communication. That his son would usher in God's communication that the Messiah is finally going to come. And in that moment, for nine and a half, ten months, he's wrangling with that good news. Somebody's like, Zechariah, something you want to say? And he's like, I mean, he wants to say so much. He's desiring to say so much. He wants to communicate to them just how God is going to move. Just how God is going to do things for 400 years. 400 years. I can't wait to tell anybody anything. I can remember as a child, we buy my dad a Christmas present. My parents are here. You can run this past them later. But we would buy my dad a Christmas present. Now, I'm, I'm the youngest. Okay, my brother's six years older than me. And my brother would have to tell me, you cannot tell him what we bought him. Okay. Dad. Dad. Do you want to know what you're getting? Well, is it supposed to be a surprise? Yeah, but it's this. Be surprised. So I found, we were buying Valerie's Christmas presents yesterday, and I had to tell my kids the same thing. Talk about generational sin. And so we're in there, and we're, we're buying all this stuff for it, and I turn, I, I know Graham, like, you can barely understand what he's saying, so I don't have to worry about that being conveyed. But I turn to Bryce and be like, look now, the best gift you can give mom right now is silence, and not telling her what we're going to give her. He said, Dad, it's so hard. It's such a good gift. Graham wanted to buy Valerie a Yoda size, a, a mom-sized Yoda outfit. They didn't have that. And so he's still a little bit out as to whether or not what we got her is a good gift. But for 400 years, he's waited to pass this on. So you can imagine the, the, the anxiousness that he has in wanting to share this. And so he opens his mouth. He begins to bless the Lord. And look what he says of his son. Now, if you'll imagine, the passage right before this is he's, he's describing how amazing God is, how awesome God is, and he turns now and he's got his infant child in his hands. He's got this child in his hands that he's waited his whole married life to see. He and his wife have been unable to have children, and so he looks at this child, and in his mind he knows the plan and purpose for this child, what this child will be. And so with the tenderness of a father... The long-awaited expectation of what God would do, the long-awaited expectation of what it would be like to finally hold a son, 
He looks at him. And he says, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Probably the most stunning words Zechariah had ever uttered to date. He's looking at his son. Now for you and I, we we figure the man John the Baptist, but for him, in his mind, he's looking at his son, his infant child. You will be called the prophet of the Most High. No, the only time Luke has used this reference of the Most High was of Jesus. Back in verse 32, he said, Jesus will be born and he will be the Son of the Most High. So we see Luke thematically bringing these, things to, these two things together, showing us how these things are going to work. So on the one hand, we see Jesus, who is the Son. On the other hand, we see John the Baptist, who would be the prophet of the Most High. Now think about that description of God. He doesn't just say you'll be a prophet unto the Lord, but he says you'll be the prophet of the Most High. So he describes God in terms of being that which there is nothing greater, that which there is nothing higher, that which all those things in your imagination that you might be able to say, yes, but this is better. He says, absolutely not. This is the Most High. The one who spoke everything into existence. The one who brought uh, you into existence. The one who helps me continue to be able to talk. The one who upholds gravity at this very moment. The one who brought this child into existence. The one who spoke light into darkness. The one who spoke matter into nothing. The one who brought all these things to be, his son would serve. And serve in a radically different way. He says, you child will be the prophet of the most high. On the basis of what? He says, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. You can imagine that Zechariah is just thoroughly amazed and in awe at how God is bringing all these things to bear. Now, he is quoting the last prophetic word of God that the nation of Israel received. Back in Malachi 3, Malachi 3 and verse 1, he says, Behold, I send my messenger, and what will he do? He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And he had been coming for 400 years. All this bound up in the future of this child. All this bound up in this this baby who Zechariah and Elizabeth were entrusted to care and provision for. 400 years and now all these things had come to bear and be and rest in the life of a child. To prepare the way, Zechariah and Elizabeth's ministry was preparatory in nature. John the Baptist's ministry was preparatory in nature, but it was specific in execution. Sometimes you and I, we, we don't want the preparatory job. Like, we don't want to be the guy that's out picking rocks up out of the field and, and making ready and preparing things because that's not glorious. That's not fun. We want to have our name and lights. We want people to to know the things that we do, typically. Most of us don't find a whole lot of enjoyment doing those things which are necessary, but non-glorious. John the Baptist's life would be necessary, but non-glorious. God would be glorified through those things that he did, certainly, but he's, he's receiving no prestige. He's receiving no honor by his countrymen on the basis of what he's doing. But he is being incredibly faithful. We have some of the most silent saints in this church. People that just faithfully go about doing things. That if they did not get done week in and week out, 
Things would just grind to a halt. This is the role and capacity that he calls him to. People that are faithful in prayer, but we don't know. People that bring the offering plates in. We recognized a few weeks ago when someone did not do that, we had to take the offering up like this. It gets personal real fast when you're grabbing somebody's pocket for their money. Let me help you. His ministry is preparatory, but it is incredibly important that we recognize to what degree God had called him. Look at verse 77. He's going to prepare the way for Jesus, but how? He says to give the knowledge of salvation to his people, but then he typifies it even more. He he exacts it even more. How's he going to give the knowledge of salvation? It is in the forgiveness of their sins. This is critically important for us to understand because the ministry entrusted to John the Baptist still finds a happy home for us today. The ministry that John the Baptist engaged in is the same ministry that met you and I in our lost state and condition. He used to give out the knowledge of salvation. Now you can take this in a couple of different ways. In fact, some people take this incredibly the wrong way. And so for them, salvation is this amazing news that your life can be however you want it to be, that you can do whatever you want, and ultimately that God's love rests on you, his favor comes to you. This would be this knowledge of this kind of false salvation, this ideology that purports to to recommend to you that your life can be however you want it to be because God is so bestowed with love for you that he just extends to you graciously the sacrifice of his son to do with whatever you might. But notice that he doesn't say that. This salvation that he uh, entrusts John the Baptist to give the knowledge of to his people is typified, it's, it's, it's... manifested in a really particular way. If we don't get this, we don't get salvation. If we don't, quite simply, if you don't get this, then you just really don't understand what salvation is. Look what he says. You're to prepare the way of the Lord. How? To give the knowledge of salvation to his people. What's that? It is in the forgiveness of their sins. No, for the most part, we're very comfortable dealing with sin in the abstract. We're sin, we're separated, we're far off from God. But sin in the particular is our problem. Sin in the particular is our problem. This isn't just the, the, the kind of nebulous idea that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they transgressed his character, and that because of that we've all fallen. Certainly that's true as well. But this contains also the idea of personal sin. I am personally separated from a holy and righteous God on the basis of my personal sin. On the basis of my personal sin. This is just shocking news to some of you, and I might not see you next week. My pastor sins. Oh my goodness. We all sin. We all sin. This is what scripture tells us. And we are to give the knowledge of salvation matched with this understanding that humanity has transgressed, broken, violated God's words and his character. This is what we do when we share the gospel. We're communicating to people that they have ultimately transgressed what God's word says and they are living in a violation of his character. To do anything other is not to share the gospel. To do anything other is not to communicate salvation. It's to communicate feelings which might at the most engender happy and warm feelings inside them. To find out somebody else loves them is fantastic. But to understand the extent of that love, they have to understand what they've done wrong. Friends, we're not bringing condemnation on people's lives. We're bringing the truth of the gospel to bear on marred humanity. We're bringing the truth of the gospel to bear on people who desperately need to hear the truth. Because outside the truth that we have personally sinned, 
We don't recognize our need for God. And so if we don't recognize our need for God, then we can certainly import salvation into this whole theory of all these different worldviews that, that are able to live in happy harmony with one another. I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. I can believe whatever I want. Why? Because salvation has come to bear in my life. Well, that's certainly not true. Salvation counts for nothing. You don't understand it if you don't understand the fact that you are personally, you have personally sinned against a holy God and his salvation came to you anyway. Now John, writing in a letter of 1 John, wrote to a community that was really struggling with this idea and trying to figure out how to walk in light of this. And so what he wanted to communicate to them was that God absolutely loves them. God is love, he writes in 1 John. But he wanted them to understand that they were separated from God because of sin. Look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 8. He says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you don't believe that you are a sinner, then you're disbelieving the truth. Effectively, he writes, it says, the truth is not in you. It has no home in your life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is the movement of God in our lives that produces righteousness. It's not our ability to overcome sin. It's not our ability to quit sinning. It is the supernatural work of God in our lives that does what? It cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God is the one who brings this thing to bear. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. There, are, there is no one in this room who has been able to keep themselves from sinning. There's no one in this room that has been able to keep themselves from sinning. It is an impossibility. And it is a reminder of our dependence upon the sacrifice of Jesus. So the sacrifice of Jesus, his salvation that comes to us is a daily reminder of our need and dependence upon him and the great love of the Father that he would send his son to die, not in the place of a lovable and almost sinless people, but a people so completely mired and lost in sin that we couldn't begin to dig our own way out. And Jesus Christ came and he took on the punishment for all of our sin, humanity's sin certainly, but our personal sin Absolutely. And then it begins to take new shape, new understanding for us as we begin to understand that it's not some abstract idea of, of humanity's sin, but it is Steve's sin, it's Matt's sin, it's, it's uh, Dee's sin, it's Daniel's sin. God forbid, it's Granny's sin. Some of you are still wrangling with that. Rosemary sins? Oh, Lord. What hope is there for me? So we begin to adapt a lot of things when we recognize the true depravity of ourselves. What he says there is that John the Baptist is going to prepare the way. So he's communicating with people that they have transgressed God's laws, that they are in need of redemption. And John's baptism that he was affording them was a baptism of repentance. The baptism that Jesus gives us is one that's following salvation and is a recognition of his death, burial, and ultimately his resurrection. It's a testimony to the changing power of Jesus, his blood shed and brought to bear on our lives. 
Look what he says. This is communication of the knowledge of salvation. It's the communication of the forgiveness of sins, but it's matched with something. Verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God. The reason John the Baptist is out there telling people that they have transgressed God's laws, they have violated his characters, is not because he is a righteous rule follower. It's not because God is some, some heavenly father sitting on a throne and he's got this list of yes and no's and, and we've had more no's than we've had yeses and he wants to smack us around a little bit. It is brought to bear in our lives. Why? The scripture tells us because of the tender mercy of God. You recognize that it is the tender mercy of God that for 400 years he was moving and preparing and leading and bringing this message to bear upon humanity. It's because of God and his character that he's bringing this, this wondrous news of the forgiveness of sins to bear on humanity. It's not because he wants you to feel bad about yourself. It's because he wants to redeem you. He wants to save you. And he wants to call you out of sin and darkness. Ephesians 2, you were dead and lost in your transgressions and sins. And it's in the midst of that unlovable state that he sends this divine message of salvation to you. You have transgressed, yet I offer you forgiveness. We've transgressed, yet we've been offered forgiveness. Why? Because God is caught up with with tender mercy. Look what he says next. Because of the tender mercy of God, and so we see God moving, we see the communication going out, whereby the sunrise shall visit us upon high. The sunrise that is being visited us upon high, recognize that this is when the communication on the human level and the, the divine movement find themselves coming to be one. They find themselves combining one another. In Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus said these words of himself, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root And the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. And so what Luke is giving us there through the the mouth of Zechariah is that John the Baptist is to go out and he's to communicate this message. And because of the tender mercy of God, Jesus will arise, he will come to bear, and he will bring light to bear on the situation. Jesus said of himself in John 8, 12, that he is the light He's directing humanity to look to him, to see to him, to see by him. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Apostle Paul gives us a beautiful picture of what's taking place here. Recognize before you came to know Jesus, or if you have yet to surrender your life to him, you are or were in darkness. Your life was shrouded in darkness, and you sought to make it light for yourself. But this is what Paul describes in Colossians 1.13. Speaking of Jesus, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom, verse 14, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This supernatural movement from darkness to light is accomplished not within man, but within God. This supernatural movement is come to bear because of the movement of God bringing truth to bear on our souls. And so it's this message we communicate matched with the divine which God is mediating and bringing that to bear on our souls. This preparatory work done by John matched with the divine movement of the Son is yielding light in our lives. Look at verse 79. 
to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This ministry begun by John the Baptist, certainly preparatory in nature. He was to go out and his task, his role, was to prepare the way of the Lord to communicate to a lost humanity the knowledge of salvation, which is caught up in the forgiveness of sins. This is the message that found us sitting in darkness. Someone came to you, someone came to me, and they said, you have transgressed the law of God. And we said, what does transgress mean? Who is God? They begin to lay out these things and explain to us about this creator God who loves us, who created us to know him. And in our ignorance, we rebelled against him. We lived for ourselves. We did whatever the heck we wanted to do. Why? Because it pleased us. And so we created for ourselves false gods, idols. Some of us were our own idols, some of our hobbies, our professions, our families. They began to populate the shelves of where we kept all the idols in our lives. So this person, trying to manifest the tender mercy of God, came to us, not in an idea and and, and a process of being judgmental to bring us low, but seeking to bring us out of darkness, said, recognize, friend, God loves you doesn't want to bring condemnation in your life. He recognizes you have received enough of that. But he wants to bring forgiveness to bear in your life. That's why he sent me. To tell you how you might be forgiven. To bring to some of you the knowledge that he exists. So that you might move and act upon that so that God might bring light to your life. So that he might bring you from darkness to light. So that you might find peace. And finding peace walking. Christmas, the story of the arriving light, is a wonderful time for us to renew this message that Jesus Christ assumed flesh and came into this world came into this world an innocent child and he died in this world at the hands of those he had created all crying out crucify him we recognize he conquered death he conquered our hate he conquered our self love he conquered our bend towards idolatry and indifference and he calls us to come Many of us have an opportunity to continue this ministry of John the Baptist. We continue it in our families. We continue it on the road. We continue it on our place of work. I saw a lot of you yesterday continuing it at Marshall's and at Aldi. The work that he calls us to may be preparatory in someone else's life. Some of us may go our whole lives sharing the seeds of the gospel, but never see someone else come to know Jesus. This is not an indication of your failure, but is an indication of your faithfulness in continuing to do this thing, to give the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and fully trusting on God to bring the fruit, to bring the light to bear in their lives, and to call them from the domain of darkness the kingdom of his glorious light. Amen? Amen. Would you join me in that pursuit? Would that be what you would 
recognize and remember this Christmas season that the story of the arriving light has become our story in the ministry he has called John the Baptist to. He still calls us to today. Would you join me in praying? God, I thank you that you call us to a preparatory ministry that you have not given to us the power of salvation, that that is in Jesus and the movement of your spirit in the lives of humanity. God, there is no way that that we can say the right thing, do the right thing that would save us, but we recognize that Jesus has moved in salvation to bring life to bear in our lives. And so, Father, we thank you for the work of salvation that you have completed in us. We thank you that you will continue to sustain us. And we pray for those who have yet to surrender their lives to you. God, that they might hear the true gospel, that they might know the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and that we might know all of these things were paid for in the blood of Jesus Christ. That he took on their sin, that he bore their blame, the wrath poured out from your hand. And that he died and was raised again, and that in raising he has overcome sin and death, and he calls them to come and to receive forgiveness. Come and be made white. Come and be restored to the Father. Come and be redeemed. Father, I pray that you would help us to endeavor to communicate this message to all those that we encounter. God, you have not equipped us with goggles to recognize lost and saved, and so help us to sow broadly. I pray that you would give us hearts that match yours, that we would be tender and merciful to all those we encounter. God, we pray your blessings upon our sharing. We pray your blessings upon those who will hear. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.